we were gathered to celebrate 31 years of being a local church. And what does that mean? That means that there were people who were worshiping together as a family of God at First Baptist Church and those who felt it impressed upon their hearts by the Lord to uproot and then leave what was familiar to them and come to the other side of town. Not many miles, uh, but definitely in a different place than what they were used to. And they planted this local church so that the gospel would continue to spread in this town and that it would reach out to the military base and the families that would be building homes all in this area. And so before all of these neighborhoods to my right were built, this house here was placed on this land so the gospel would go forth. And there are some of you in this room who have been here from day one. Uh, many of us have only been here in the last 15 years and there are many of you in this room who have only been here in the last two to three years. And so we have much to be grateful for. But not only are we celebrating being a local church established on this land in this area to penetrate the culture with the good news of Jesus Christ, but we also celebrate the Reformation of 500 years, which began in Wittenberg, Germany, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wooden doors of the church at Wittenberg. And we celebrate this, and you say, why? I don't get it. And so I understand that there may be many among us today that don't understand the Reformation. And that's why we have set aside this day on Reformation weekend uh, to teach through the solace as we have just gone through. And I'm going to take a moment uh, to go through them once again, and I'm going to highlight the man Martin Luther. Now, you may be thinking, is that, are you talking about Dr. King, Martin Luther King? He's a great man. He's a great man, and maybe one day we'll set aside some time to talk about the great work that he did on this earth as well. But I'm talking about Martin Luther, who lived over 500 years ago. And I want to be clear that as I mention him, we're not mentioning him as some uh, extra savior, um, that he found some extra biblical way to live. No, God intervened in his life and used him in a mighty way to get our eyes back on Jesus. I'm going to explain how the eyes have gotten off of Jesus and then how God used him to get eyes back on Jesus. So today's gonna to be a little different. I'm not, I'm not preaching uh, from a text today. Rather, this is more of a historical account, which I think is needed for us as a local church because many of us don't understand what the Reformation is or where it even began. And this is where it began. And I say that because I didn't begin to understand it until I stepped into a seminary classroom. Um, I thought that, um, you know, we came from Jesus and the disciples. I didn't know what happened in uh, like 1800 to 1900 years in between. And I just thought the church was thriving in the last 50 years. That's all I thought. That's all I was taught. And then I go into a seminary classroom and a friend says, hey, how about we take this trip to Germany and we'll go on a Reformation tour. And I said, that sounds fun going to Germany. <laughs> I didn't know the Reformation, didn't understand it. So we went and I began to learn we began to walk through these towns, and one of them being Wittenberg, and, and seeing where Martin Luther studied, and seeing where he lived, and seeing where he nailed the 95 Theses. And so it's just with a warm heart that I come to you today, and, and I want to teach. And so I hope you'll be glad to receive this and rejoice uh, in the Reformation and the great work God has done. So let me pray for us, because uh, I know that we've, we've come in here. Can I just say this before we pray, that if you've come in today and you've got something heavy on your heart, there's been a lot going on this week. Uh, maybe it's something family-related or work-related, and it's just clouding your mind. Like, we've been singing, but you continue to get distracted. You're continuing to get distracted. I mean, words are coming out of your mouth, but you don't even know what they mean. 
Uh, I want to pray for you today. I just want to pray that we would hone in on this because this is a significant time in history and it still impacts today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you that you've brought us together. And Lord, as we um, look back in history now, we ask for your blessings, Lord, over what is spoken, God, what is proclaimed. Thank you for taking broken people and restoring them and putting your mighty message within them to bring about change and repentance and a life that honors you, Lord, through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would hear this today. I pray for those in this room that right now are just heavily distracted, whatever it may be, whatever's on their plate, whether they've confessed it to you or not. Father, I pray that you bring about change in their hearts now, and may we focus in on this message. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Martin Luther was born in, on November 10th, 1483. And his parents were very strict disciplinarians. And so when he would get in trouble, I mean, he would pay for it. And I mean, his mother was no lighter on him than his father. And it was from a young age that his parents noticed in him that he had a really bright mind, that he was brilliant, and that he needed to pursue a law degree. And so his dad was always pushing him towards receiving a law degree. So he went to the University of Erfurt. And to go to this place was kind of freedom for him because being uh, in his home with a strict family, uh, he felt kind of in, in bondage there. So being able to leave and then going to the university to study brought a little bit of freedom. Maybe some college students feel that in the room today. You're going, yeah, getting away from home is a little nice, if I must admit. But as he went, he began to hang out with some comrades, some buddies, and they became family. And that's what it was like. It's, it can still be that way in college today. Uh, but back then, uh, in, at the university, this became his family, his friends. But there was a thing called the Black Plague, which was sweeping across Europe. And it took the life of a few of his friends. And during that time, Martin Luther went home, spent some time with his family. And it was on his way back to the university that he got caught up in a storm. And a lightning bolt struck near him, and it sent him to his knees. And the thing that came out of his mouth without him even realizing it was this, Saint Anne, help me, I shall become a monk. Now notice this, that he says he'll become a monk. I mean, that lightning must have been severe. But he called upon Saint Anne. He didn't call upon God because he didn't know God. He recognized the saints, but he didn't know the Savior. And so his thought process was that if I call upon St. Anne, it will go through Mother Mary to Jesus and then to God. But he had no relationship with God the Father. And he was proclaiming to be a monk. I will go to be a monk. Now, his dad didn't like this because his dad wanted him uh, to pursue this degree and as he left the University of Erfurt, he went to the St. Augustinian Monastery. And he began in 1505. And so he became a monk. And his father didn't like this because there were monks who were crucified, who were killed, who were burned at the stake. And he was afraid that this would be the same for his son, Martin. But as in all things with Martin Luther's life, he was devoted. He was very good at what he did. And so he was a really, really good monk. 
And because he was such a good monk, he was the monk of all monks. This is what he said. I was a good monk. I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on longer, I should have killed myself with vigils and prayers and reading and other work. And this is true. In fact, later in his life, Martin would complain of his health and he'd say, it was from those days of being a monk. What are some of the things that he did? He deprived, deprived, let me get this right. He deprived himself of food and water for days. Why? Because he felt that if he deprived himself, he would somehow please God more. So he would go without food and water. He would fast. And he wore chafed clothing and he froze in the winter as an act of denying oneself and pleasing God. Literally, he was beating his flesh. He was tormenting his flesh so that he would not be ruled by his sin. He confessed his sin up to six hours at a time. Let's just go for that. How about today? You just mark off the whole afternoon. Hey, what are you doing? I'm just going to confess my sin all afternoon. That's what I'm going to do. And you get started and see if you could confess your sin for six hours. The sins that you have committed that that day and that week, he was very well aware that he was a sinner. And in fact, he would get up from confessing his sin, he'd walk away, and then he would stop and he'd go right back. And he'd say, no, that didn't do it. I, I still have this guilt. I still have this sin. I need to confess more. So he recognized his sin, but he had no remedy for it. And this troubled him. As a young man, as a monk, a monk of all monks, Yet he was troubled. In fact, monasticism was a sense of hell for Luther. He had no joy. He had no excitement in Christ Jesus. He didn't even know Christ. And yet he lived this religious life. People would look at his life and go, that is a holy man. And he was separated from God. In 1510, he visited Rome, the great holy city. You have to understand that there were many landmarks, many holy sites that one could visit in Rome. And when you would go to each site, you would gain merit. And so from one holy site to the next, he, he traveled and he would go underneath in these tombs to where you had the saints of old, just their bones, the relics. And as he went in there, he would peel back the cover and say, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, that's, that's a saint. Boom, covered up. Hey, more merit for me. Go to the next one. Yeah, he's dead too. Okay, more merit and keep going. And so he was building up these merits like a child going to an arcade and knowing which of those video games, you know, which ones give the most tickets. He would go to the most holy sites first. He did not get a chance to go to St. John Lateran, though. That performance was supposed to achieve instantly salvation for one's mother. But he did climb the Scala Sancta, which was thought to be the same staircase that Jesus climbed up to Pilate. 
And here's what it looked like. As he climbed each and every step, he would stop, he would bend down, and he would pray the Lord's Prayer. He would kiss that step, then he'd get up, go to the next step, bend down, pray the Lord's Prayer, kiss that step, get back up all the way to the top. He was assured that if he did this, he would free a soul of choice from purgatory. Who would like to be free from purgatory? Me, me, no, no, me, me, me. Which one? I mean, I've done this work for you, but he gets to the top and he asks this question, how do I know if this is even true? And yet he's empty once again. I mean, he's, he's climbed the stairway that Jesus climbed supposedly, and yet I didn't change him inwardly. He went from one holy site to the next holy site. Still no inward change. And here's what he realized. Is that all of these acts left him empty once again. All of his works. All of his denying the flesh. All the holy sites. Meaning holy people. Being in the same city as the Pope. And yet what he realized about the Pope is that he was evil, that he was wicked, that he threw these parties that were in no way glorifying to God, but glorifying to the flesh. And when he left Rome, he realized that Rome was a spiritual place filled with many unspiritual people. So what is young Martin Luther to do? Well, this is what he did. He went to the scriptures. And he began to read the scriptures by himself which was forbidden for a monk to do. Go put that together, that a monk could not spend time alone in the scriptures. Yet as he began to read, there was a change that started happening. And then not long after that, he left Erfurt and he went to Wittenberg to teach. And this university there in Wittenberg, it sits right in the middle of the town, kind of a a two-story building, cobblestone streets. It's, It's absolutely beautiful place. And it was there that this beautiful act of grace took place in his life. As he began to teach, he began to study, because now it wasn't just going to be him studying the word for himself. He was going to have to be the authority in teaching this word to students. Now, he's still under Roman Catholicism. That change had not taken place yet. But yet the word was changing him. And so he taught from Psalms, and Romans, and Galatians, and Hebrews. And through this study, he realized that what he found in the Word is not what he found in Roman Catholicism. What God's Word spoke was different from what the Pope spoke in the papacy. And so he began to write around October 31st, 1517. And he penned a 95 Theses. And what it was is it was basically a debate over the matter of indulgences and the practice of the Pope, which I'm just going to tell you would not make the Pope happy. And he takes the 95 Theses and he goes to the doors there at the Wittenberg Church and he nails them that evening, the eve of All Saints Day. What is All Saints Day? Well, All Saints Day would be where the church would gather the next day. And I, and I use the term church loosely here but they would gather together because the bones and the relics of the saints would be brought into this place for a viewing. And guess what? When you viewed them, guess what you got? Merit. You could take off more time from purgatory. You could maybe save a family member from purgatory. And what was purgatory? One, I can guarantee you this, it's nothing biblical. 
But what is purgatory? Purgatory is the place where you burn away your sins. And when your sins are burned away, then you get to go to heaven. And so they wanted to shorten that time. I mean, as long as, if they didn't have to stay very long, that would be good. And if they could skip it all together, that would be preferable. And so before this act took place on November 1st, the thesis was nailed to the door. Did Martin Luther understand what he was about to set off? This great reformation? I, I don't think so. Many people don't think so. They use just writing from the convictions of his heart, but somebody took these theses and made a big deal about it. Men like Johann Tetzel, who offered up indulgences and or told people to offer up indulgences. Will last week, if you'll go back and listen to that message on Solus Christus, you, you will be most blessed. And he mentioned this quote in there, when the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And people would give money. It wasn't about repentance. It was about indulgences. But then he said this as well, place your penny on the drum, the pearly gates open and in strolls mum. Save your mom. Do you hear her screams in purgatory? Give this money and she will be set free. Where was all this money going? It was going to Rome, to building projects, to building the library at the Vatican, to supporting the Pope and all his desires. And so Tetzel did not ask people to repent. He just said, give money. And Luther saw this for the great scandal that it was and the indulgence cheapened repentance. Cheapened repentance. So Luther wrote the 95 Theses. He nailed it to the doors and imposed the medieval teaching that God will deny grace, will not deny grace to those who do their best. It's here I want to pause for a minute, and if you're sitting here going, how does this relate to us today? Because I believe that even we, if, if you, as a Southern Baptist, as followers of Jesus Christ, we think more Catholic than we do Protestant. We believe more in the Catholic ways than we do the Protestant ways. You would be shocked. You would be shocked if you studied history in this vein to realize just how Catholic our thought process is. God will not deny grace to those who do their best. How many in this room, deep down, do you believe that really if you do your best, that God's not gonna deny that? And that he will indeed accept you as good and say, come on in to heaven. How many people do you work with? How many people are in your family that would believe that they do more good than they do bad? And God's just going to look at that and say, mm, job well done. Come on in. What an example you set. The 95 Theses opposed this thought, this teaching, and it set off a chain of events starting the Reformation. It was the beginning of Luther's understanding that one could interpret Scripture without the Pope and the priest. This is what he would say about the Pope's word. The Pope's word would always trump God's. In that case, the reign of the Antichrist there was sealed, and it was no longer the church of God, but the synagogue of Satan. He was pretty bold in his speech, wouldn't you say? And so this would escalate things. And a few years later, there would be the 
deity of Worms where he would stand and, and he would say, here I stand, I will not recant. I will not deny the writings. Because here's what happened after this 95 Thesis. He began to write and write and write and send it out. His literature was getting out into all of the towns and the Pope got angry and began to burn his writings and his theses. But he began to write and write and write about the good news of the gospel. And from this, Reformation, this period of Reformation. Listen, there are many men and women that we could speak of today other than Martin Luther. And let me just go ahead and tell you, if you do a study of Martin Luther, you'll see that he's pretty crude at times. Uh, he would say some things that you wouldn't agree with. Um, you, you maybe not, would not want to be in his presence. He may hurt your feelings. Okay? But God used this man in a mighty way to get our eyes to Jesus. In a day when nobody was looking to Christ, but they were looking to the Pope. And so you have the five solas, which if we were to speak English here, and I think we should, it's scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And I just want to walk you through these for a moment so that you'll become familiar with these, but here's what I want you to do with them. I want you to further study them. Because maybe you've heard the Reformation and you've only heard one man's opinion about it and you've shut it off. I encourage you, church, study the history and study what is the Catholic Church. And is there still a need for the Reformation today? And I believe there is wholeheartedly, even when you have the news that the Pope of today could come forward and say, hey, the Reformation's over. We don't need the Reformation. We believe as the Protestants do. Well, if they do, then they'll line up on these areas. And I think once we finish, you'll see that they indeed do not line up. First one we see is sola scriptura. Scripture alone you see, the Reformation had just begun, but it wasn't until 1519 that transformation happened in Luther's heart. And as he continued to read the word, that's when the transformation was happening. It was scripture alone. It was the authority of the word that changed him. Why does that matter? Because if you come here and the only time that you open up the Bible is here because you believe that I or any other pastor that stands up here is the only authority in your life, you miss it. You miss it. What a blessing it is that we have a Bible in our hands. I've got six, seven, eight study Bibles in my office. They had none. None. And as Luther gets a hold of the word, which was in Latin, which means most people didn't understand what was being read, which that's dangerous. Because then the Pope, the priest could say whatever they wanted to say the word said. But here's what began to happen when, when Luther opened up the pages of the Bible and he began to read in a book of Romans. He began to see his sin more and more. But here's what he thought salvation was before the transformation happened. He said, only when you admit that you are worthy of hell can you be ready for heaven. This was salvation, not by trusting God's promise of salvation, but by accepting his damnation. It was salvation by humility. It was the terror of God. You see what came first? He was terrified of God. In fact, Martin Luther even said he hated God. Before his transformation, he hated God because he saw God as a righteous God, and yet he had sin. And how could he ever be made right? Because he knew how wicked his sin was, and here's a righteous God. He could never rise to that supremacy. But then he read Romans, 
I remember my first year after college, I went home to shadow under my pastor there. And there was another pastor on staff that walked by the office uh, that I was in that morning. And I was reading Romans. And I had my highlighter. And I think I was like highlighting every sentence, which, I mean, what good did that do? (laughs) Before he walked by, I had a guy who came by and said, hey, you writing in your Bible? You know you're not supposed to do that, right? Oh, didn't know that. Still don't know that. Next guy comes by and he says, hey, what are you reading? I said, Romans. He said, oh, that's a tough book, man. Be careful with that one. Be careful. You know what I did with that? And this was foolish on my part, but you know what I did with that? I became intimidated. And I said, Romans isn't for me to understand. I just won't. I'll never get Romans. There's just mystery in Romans. I won't understand it. I just need to read it kind of lightly and move on. I'm thankful that Martin Luther wasn't intimidated by Romans and that he went after Romans and he began to read it and he read Romans 1.17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed for, for faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It was the righteousness of God that had angered Luther because he was unrighteous, but then he began to focus on the faith. And he realized that faith was a gift from God. Where was this coming from? His source was the word. And where he saw in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that it was scripture alone, not the authority of the Pope, not the authority of the priest, because if he had followed their authority, he would have followed them straight to hell. And you may be intimidated to read certain books of the Bible because you think you don't have the intellect. But at salvation, you have been given a gift and a gift of the Holy Spirit to read and to understand. Do not be intimidated by the Bible. It is scripture alone where we learn who God is. Quit going to the self-help books to make your life feel better. Go to scripture to see who you really are in light of God and be made better. This is what he discovered. But the next one is sola gratia, grace alone. That forgiveness comes simply by receiving the promise of God. Thus the sinner's hope is found not in himself, but outside himself in God's word of promise. And this is where we think more Catholic than Protestant many times because we would think the faith that we have in God was, was, came from us. That it was there all along, this little seed of faith that we had. Just We don't know, but it was just there. And then as we heard about God, we produced this faith within us. But faith is not some inner resource we must summon up. If it were, it would, by Luther's definition, be sin. And I agree that if we could proclaim that this faith came from us, within us, all by us, that's sinful. Because everything from us is sinful. So how do we have this faith? Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And understand this is not infusion. This is not God's word being poured into our hearts that then all of a sudden, because now we have the righteousness of God poured into us, that now we're just going to live this holy life and it's going to permeate through us and we're no longer going to sin while we're here on this earth. 
when they were working out at the YMCA, I, I heard a Catholic priest defend this for a man who said he sinned no more walking on this earth. It's not infusion, it's imputation. It's not amputation, don't get that confused. That's cutting off. Imputation is putting on. It's putting on. Christ took on our sin at the cross and his righteousness was placed on us. This brings about a change when we see that by grace outside of us, not inside of us, that we can be changed. It's grace. It's grace. So that when you don't feel like a Christian, when you wake up in the morning, you can proclaim, it's by the grace of God I've been saved. Grace. When you've entertained sin that you know does not please God, you can say, but I have grace and I, I repent of my sin and I trust in you, Jesus. I'm sorry. And you keep walking in obedience. It's by grace alone, the salvation that we have and by faith alone, sola fide. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Can it not be more clear in Scripture? The salvation is not of us. There is nothing in salvation that we may boast of. And Martin Luther was tired of the boasting. He was tired of the works. That's all Luther had ever known. One pastor, Michael Reeves, said it this way. He said, all the struggles and all the anxiety that Luther had could be replaced with massive confidence and simple faith receiving the gift. Do you have massive confidence and simple faith today in the works of Jesus? This is what Luther went on to say about faith alone. He said, at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a faith of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. It is when you realize it is by faith, by the grace of God, and we receive this through his word, that we enter into this relationship through Jesus Christ. And we enter into eternal life. Eternal life is not something waiting for us. It's something that begins as you repent and follow Christ. Eternal life is knowing God. And this is what Luther was experiencing. And then he would say it's solus Christus, his sinless life his substitutionary atonement, that it was all about Christ, not about the papacy, not about the Pope, not about his works, but about the works of Christ, Christ alone. And he explained it this way. He says that he is the king and we become a queen, his church becoming a queen. But before we are a queen, we are a prostitute. And that the king comes to take us bride. This is how he explains it. He says, when they marry, the prostitute becomes by status a queen. It is not that she made her behavior queenly and so won the right to the king's hand. 
She was and is a wicked harlot through and through. However, when the king made his marriage vow, her status changed. She is simultaneously a prostitute at heart and a queen by status. In just the same way, Luther saw that the sinner on accepting Christ's promise in the gospel is simultaneously a sinner at heart and righteous by status. What has happened is the joyful exchange in which all that she has, her sin, she gives to him, and all that he has, his righteousness and blessedness and life and glory, he gives to her. Thus, she can confidently display her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ in whom I have believed has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all mine is his. Wow, that's good news. You may not like being called a prostitute, but indeed, a prostitute, you are church. And I include myself in that, of course. We have gone after many idols, not in our distant past, but this week. We have desired things above God, fooling ourselves into thinking that if we could achieve these things, that we would be somehow better for it without rejoicing in the grace of God. Me and my wife got married. She loved telling everybody in front, well, in front of everybody. She would say, hey, Brian, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is ours. I'd say, you're right. Yes, you're double blessing there. But that's how it is when we enter into a relationship with Christ. We give to Jesus our sin. That's all we bring. Jesus doesn't become better because he enters into a relationship with us. We have filled no gaps in Jesus' life. We have brought to him our sin, and he has given us his righteousness. We are blessed. What a privilege to be in a relationship with a king. This was Luther's understanding of justification by faith alone, and it is in that security he argued that the harlot actually then starts to become queenly at heart. Which means what? That day after day, you can rejoice in this relationship that you have with Jesus. And as you come to his word and you receive the word, there's a continual transformation where you look more queenly and it's all because of the good work of Jesus Christ. Christ alone, which leads to sola de gloria, which is the glory of God alone. I'll make this brief. But here's what Luther said. He says, you know, the, the key sin, the big sin is unbelief. This is the sin of the world, that it does not believe on Christ not that there is no sin against the law besides this, but that this is the real chief sin, which condemns the whole world, even if it could be charged with no other sin. Unbelief. This is a sin that all of us have shared this week, I'm sure. Unbelief in God, in his power, in his might, in his provision. Unbelief. There was something that caused us to doubt, something that kept us from going to the Lord in prayer 
some sin that we harbored, held on to, went to as an embrace because we doubted God's goodness. Unbelief. This is the problem of the world. We can pick on the world. We can call out the world's sin. There are a lot of ludicrous things that are happening out there in the media, and we're foolish to get all caught up in that and let that wreck our day because the problem with the world is unbelief. Church, we should know this. Here it is. Unbelief. They need Jesus. So let's take them, Jesus. But in this, it is all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. And in just a minute, we're going to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I hope you would sing it with, with gusto, just with power, strong belief in, in glorifying God. This is the anthem of the Reformation. But as you see these words on screen, take notice. But here is the question I have for you as we get ready to sing. Is the Reformation over? Can we join together with the Pope and just agree that the Reformation is over? That all of this has been put behind us? And I firmly stand before you today and say, no, it is not over. It will be always ongoing because there will always be a people who are against God, who want to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto them. If the Reformation were truly over, do you know what would happen? The Pope of this day would step forward and say, I resign. I sit down because Christ's work is finished. There's no role for a priest. Christ's work is finished. I'm not your priest. I'm a pastor that just delivers to you the good news. You have a great high priest. It is Jesus Christ. You go to Christ today. Confess your sins. Be brought into a relationship with Jesus if you're here today. And you feel bad about your sin and you're trying to work and you're trying to work and you're trying to work to make God happy with you. It will never happen. You will work yourself to death and receive hell forever. But if you look to Jesus, you will be forgiven of your sins and be brought into a wonderful relationship through his grace as you place your faith in him. And you will be able to live a life that is glorifying to God forever. We struggle to believe in a gracious God that it could be this good. But his word is true, Romans 5.1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that no matter how we feel that day, this remains the truth. Outside of ourselves and in Christ Jesus. Luther said this, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. Can you rest in that today? Can you rest in that goodness today? Will you leave here with the attitude of, I need to try harder? Or will you leave here trusting in Jesus? I hope and pray you trust in Jesus. If you want to talk more about having a relationship with Christ, I'd love to meet with you when we're finished here. Or when we sing, you can come forward when we're singing. You can talk with one of our pastors. We'd, we'd love to meet with you about following Christ. But here's what the Reformation brings. A great joy in the word of God. 
May we have glad hearts today. And maybe, maybe the thing on your radar this week is the word of God. People say, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you gonna do this week? I'm, I'm gonna read the word of God this week. I can't wait. I can't wait. The enemy is gonna do everything in his power to keep you from this book. And you wanna know the will of God and you can search the will of God everywhere but this book and you'll never find it because it's only in this book, the authority of scripture, scripture alone, where you receive his will and you will follow his ways for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we continue to sing and worship now, we ask your blessings. Lord, thank you. Thank you for men like Martin Luther that you used, not perfect men, not attractive men, but became attractive because of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we go forth with the good news of Jesus. And may we rejoice in these solace. God, do a work among us. May our hearts be soft. Purify the church as we go forth to penetrate the culture. In Jesus' name, amen.